This is Write Your Own Story, Three Keys to Rise and Thrive in Life and Business. I'm your host, Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian. I can't wait for you to meet our guest today, which I just met myself. His name is Wes Kate, and he is a leadership coach and the founder of a company called Creatio, where he works with executives and leadership teams to help them grow and develop, which growing is a part of nature. And that's the connection we're going to make today. So here we go. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Well, this is going to be fun because our listeners are going to get to know you at the same time I get to know you because this is our very first conversation that we've ever had. Yep. I love that. And we did identify quickly this morning that we are literally having this conversation within blocks of each other geographically. So next time we talk, you're going to come over and we're going to sit on the front porch and have coffee. That's the other thing I love about the world today is that we do have the ability through technology to be connected with people all over the world. And sometimes we're connecting with people down the street and it's good to get to know my neighbor today. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun. So we're going to have an interesting conversation about nature and leadership today. And this is what is exciting to me. One is the only thing that's going to drive this conversation is curiosity about one another and this topic. So those are always fascinating real life conversations. But two, this idea of nature and leadership seems kind of Instagrammy or maybe a little too silly for some, but Nothing could be more fundamental in my opinion, because when I talk about business and work and results and goals and things that I know I love and you as a leadership consultant must love them too. But when we were in an agricultural society, we were very in tune to our personal needs, which listeners of the show know is personal, emotional, and social, and not so attuned to a business need of control, measure, optimize. But when the industrialists came along and started paying us and bringing us in out of nature so that we could work 24-7 and they could pay us more for third shift and forgot about all of our circadian rhythms and all of that stuff, we lost a lot of the connection of our humanness that nature provides insight into. When I work with my clients, I'm always saying, let's look at nature. Literally, sometimes I'm like, just go outside and stand in the grass for a minute until your heart rate can regulate, and then we'll make a decision. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you because I think we have similar interests in how nature guides us. I'm really excited that you want to talk about this. When I recommended that this is a possible topic that we could talk about, I was like, this one's sort of weird. It was number five on a bullet point list. And (laughs) I was like, oh yeah, that's it. So I love it. Just to bounce off of some of what you're saying, I think the primary metaphor that tends to inform our work is still coming from the factory in a lot of ways and the assembly lines. And like you said, it's more about management and control and efficiency. While those things are absolutely necessary for a business to grow and flourish, it isn't just what's required because there's, of course, the human element with it. And so I think I want to invite more of a natural or biological informing metaphor to the way that we do our work and the way we see ourselves and the way that we do our work with each other. I think you you said it seems a little Instagrammy, but there's one version of that that it could. But I think nature is a really good teacher about how things grow. And I think nature is also a really good teacher about how things grow in complex systems. I have learned 
quite a bit from being a lover of gardening and somebody who loves the hike of just learning about stuff that grows and stuff that has to grow together in cooperation with other stuff. The instagram yep. comment is because the nature conversation has separated too far from the business conversation. So it's like the nature people aren't serious business people. They're doing things that are just more, you know, yoga-like or something. Yeah. And I'm saying, I don't care what you're doing. The laws of nature are applicable to business. So I love that we're bringing it together and making it less separate. And the way that I see them actually playing well together. So you've got a tomato plant that is going to vine in a thousand different ways and it's going to grow along the ground. And actually for that tomato plant to work the best, it needs structure. And so you have the structure or some of the structures that we might systems processes that we might think about in business that can enable how the actual tomato plant grows and thrives and is able to produce fruit. I think where we can get sideways is when the tomato plant tries to serve the structure rather than the structure trying to serve the tomato plant. If we do nothing else for the world today, that is red gold, Indiana tomato company. (laughs) I love making a good connection. And I as well as my father, waited too long this year to put my little structure cage over my singular tomato plant. And then I was out there roping and wiring and begging it to stand up and it was hard. But if I would have put the structure Mm. in place first, as Mm -hmm. I know to do, that wouldn't have been so hard. And it wouldn't have been so rickety now and at risk. I'm just sitting here thinking like, For something to grow and thrive such that the tomatoes, I mean, we're just riffing on tomato plants right now, but the tomatoes without that structure, the fruit is going to rot on the ground. And so it might be growing in some ways, but again, it needs the structure. How often do you run into that situation where a leader is trying to create a company culture that is very friendly and we want people to want to work here. And, you know, we went through that big movement for a while, especially in tech. If I have a foosball table and a beer on tap, then everybody's going to be happy. And what was lacking, even in some really large companies that I worked in, was people were craving structure. Mm-hmm. People were saying to me, I know we have every amenity available to us and I'm supposed to be happy. But Rebecca, I want to know what the goals are. I want to know what the rules are. I want structure. I think the job of a leader and managers within like further down in an organization is to create that structure in a way that both helps the people that are doing the work do their best work. So one of my definitions of leadership is creating the conditions in which we do our best work and become our fullest selves. We can create structure and some of those structures that I smell for in early conversations with clients or with prospects is, are you clear on what your goals and objectives are? What is the next major move of your company? How much does your team know that? What does success look like? And then even some of the more tactical things is, do you have regular one-on-ones with your team members? What is the cadence that you have of your team meetings? Even if you double click into those one-on-ones or those team meetings, then I think those are structures in my mind. But then you start to get into some more organic forms in there is how do I create the conditions in a one-on-one setting or in a team setting such that the team is able to thrive 
And how do I create the conditions in a one-on-one setting in which these two individuals, the relationship that exists between a leader and somebody that is reporting to them or a peer is able to thrive as well. And I think that there's a lot that nature can teach us about what those conditions look like. 100%. And the structure is to allow the tomato to be its biggest, boldest, best self. The structure doesn't tell a tomato how to grow. It doesn't tell a tomato what color it needs to be or what variety it needs to be. Our uniqueness is enabled better with structure. The structure isn't telling us what to do or how to do it. It's just telling us what the rules are, what the goals are, and how can we be our best because of it. And I think the rules are interesting topic because I think oftentimes when I hear rules anyways, I kind of wince at that. I don't really like being told what to do too much. I think most people don't, but I think that there are good rules that we can establish for the way that we interact with one another, like how we're going to agree to communicate with one another, how we are going to agree to deal with conflict or establishing norms on giving and receiving feedback, these kinds of things. Agreed. All of the information that gives people expectations like that, the Mm -hmm. earlier they get those in a team setting, whether you've moved to a new department or you're new to the organization or have a new leader that's just come in, the more that you proactively and intentionally communicate those things isn't meant to be confining or handcuff people into a construct they can't be themselves. It's meant to create a sense of safety, a psychological safety that, oh, I can be myself here because I know what to expect. Yep. I put a lot of stock in early framing. And I think ultimately that actually has the potential to reduce some of the hardship later on if you set people up for success earlier on, either in a project, earlier on in an initiative, even when you're onboarding, things like that. If you're clear around how things work around here and making some of the implicit things more explicit, that's more likely to set people up for success. Totally agree. Yeah. We as humans make a lot of assumptions that everyone sees situations, the work, the challenges similarly or exactly the same as we do because either we've been doing the work for so long, it's just ingrained to who we are and we forget sometimes to slow down and pause and make sure that we are synced up with people or to learn something new, especially people that have been in an organization or an industry for quite a long time. I'm often saying to them, when's the last time you were curious about your way being the best way? And allowing those new people to come in and question some things because there's probably lots of opportunity. Yeah, I'm just reflecting. That's a great question and I'm probably going to steal it. (laughs) Good. Okay, let's go tomato plants again. Remember when the hanging tomato plant structure came into the stores? So you can hang your tomato plant like a hanging basket instead of the way that we had always done our tomato plants in the ground with a wire cage or something around it. And then all of a sudden, you could go to Lowe's or someplace and buy this hanging tomato plant. And I'm like, that's Hmm. brilliant because then you don't have to worry about them rotting on the ground. They still have structure. They still have this thing that holds them together, but then they can kind of spill over and do their thing and not rot on the ground. 
Or if you are somebody that lives in an apartment that doesn't have a place necessarily to plop your tomato in the ground, this is the balcony on your deck. Somebody's got to question the norm if we're going to innovate and do it in a healthy way and healthy environment. I think that's, again, a part of creating the conditions. I love where you turned the conversation because I think it reframes it a bit in terms of what's the relationship to structure to something that's growing, something that's more biological. From how do I put this tomato cage on this tomato to make the tomato grow versus what might the best structure be in order to enable this thing to grow and thrive? Hanging basket might be one, like the run of the mill hardware store tomato cage might be another one. There's other ways that you can trellis them. There's a whole bunch of different ways to do it. I've got a friend who I think trellised his tomato plant to be like 10 feet tall, had to get on a ladder to continue to like allow it to grow, which is that alone is a really cool metaphor to think about too, is like as you're leading somebody else and as they're growing and thriving, what do I need to have to stand on in order to help that person grow? Or is Uh, my structure what's limiting the growth because I've always capped it out at three feet from the hardware store instead of building something taller? Yeah, you're taking this in a whole different direction of encouraging us to rethink what the structure might be the best enabling structure to allow the thing to grow, whatever it is. And I think that can come from the good judgment of a leader and knowing who that individual is or who the team is and what the composition of that team is. Yeah. It needs to be done with diligence, discipline, and care. It can't be in every month the leader got bored, so we're going to change the structure because we all know, you and I both more than most as a consultant, we know the visionary leader's creativity can be the demise of some organization's ability to get traction with the structure that exists. And I think what creates that consistency is that consistency of the way that leader is interacting. And it's not just highly experimental such that people don't know what to do with it. And I would think that one through line, I'd be curious what you think a through line would be of what sets that consistency is. I think we need to be curious about how things grow. Maybe I'm being too definitive here, but I think leaders have to be curious about growing things and how growing things grow, and especially people, not just the business itself, but how do people and teams grow and thrive? And you can experiment along that. I would suspect that as you pursue that course, there's going to be consistency across that. What are your thoughts? What's going to help provide the through Yeah, The question to ask yourself before you change and innovate structure, because that's going to be really disruptive to your organization, is what's the value, relevance, and impact I'm looking for? I use an acronym VRI in my work. And those three questions can be really guiding before you go announce to somebody because you got bored and you think, hey, I wonder what happens if we change the reporting structure. I wonder what happens if we change the compensation system. So to ask yourself, who's this for and why does it matter? And is it really to serve people? If it's not to serve people, either customers, employees, whomever, to really be diligent in your ass yourself those questions before you just throw something out in a meeting, especially if you're a strongly visionary, creative leader. The people in your organization learn to listen for cues that change is coming because change comes so often. 
And then the diligent people will try to get ahead of the change and already start making changes even before it's official. And it may have just been something that the leader just said out loud and forgot that he or she said it, and it's never going to come back around. So if you're going to make changes in a structure, have those wonder if conversations privately or with a coach or a, a close colleague. Don't have them out loud in a meeting with everybody and really know why you're doing it, then go articulate, here's why it matters, here's why it's valuable, the relevance, the impact that we're looking for, and make it a real thing, not just a, hey, I wonder what if. I think that there's a degree of self-awareness that's needed with that too, of being able to know when I'm doing something because I'm bored or because it's just the most interesting thing that I just saw or I'm just excited about it. I love that you're excited about the thing, whatever it is. And I think one, being able to ask that question, who is this for? And what purpose is it going to serve for them? Because I think that just as often as leaders, we can get excited about something and want to go in a direction because it's exciting to us, but it may not actually serve the best for others in that process. But being able to know when I'm impulsive, what my impulsivity feels like, and pumping the brakes on going in those directions. Well, I think highly creative visionary leaders need a side hobby or some space to create and innovate and release a lot of that energy and need that they have. Because I don't ever want to stifle a creative's creativity. Like I'm a creative. And I left an organization because it just got to the point I couldn't use my creativity enough. Like we need to do that. Yeah. But sometimes I will say to myself, Rebecca, your business doesn't need innovated today. That's just mm-hmm. going to cause more disruption on the other side. Like why don't you go research something? Why don't you go paint something? Why don't you go get a piece of furniture from the side of the road and bring it home and sand it in the garage and paint it? And that will solve all of your rearranged furniture in your house. Like sometimes I will stop myself from a wild idea in my business and go do something creative that also lights my heart on fire so I don't have to unleash all my creativity inside the business all the time. Yeah, I've noticed with creative people that they have a tendency to have hobbies that they're fascinated with outside of work that's maybe completely different than what they're normally used to doing inside of their job, whether that's gardening or beekeeping or kickboxing. One of mine is a drummer. And so he was really frustrated with his business and there was all kinds of challenges with the software and he was just losing his mind. And all of it was out of his ability to influence it. He couldn't go code and change it and fix it. And he had mentioned one day on a call that he was thinking about putting a band back together because he hadn't had a band together for a while. I said, so help me God, please go do it. It's your assignment as your coach. Like I need you to go focus all of your intention on putting a band together and leave this thing alone because it's going to drive you crazy and them crazy if you keep monkeying around in it. Yeah. I think it's kind of tough because if you end up doing the hobby for work, you're doing the hobby to intentionally engage in that hobby so that you learn something for work, it can cut its legs out from under itself. But if you engage in that hobby for its own sake, you can actually learn and pick up a lot of metaphors from whatever that is and actually bring it back to work and use that to have conversations with folks and help them reframe what challenges are. And We should have lives outside of work. Yep. I sense that you have more compost metaphors that we haven't touched on. We just went rift out hard on tomatoes and structure, and I love every second of it. But what else you got in your little garden of uh, things? 
I grow seeds in my office to plant out in the garden. So you're like a my hardcore seeds. gardener. Yeah. So like my tomato plants will start as seeds in my office. And what's interesting though, is one of the things that I learned was when I started growing them in my office versus in my garage is that the seeds that were in a safer environment here in my office, there's not as much stress on them. There's not really wind that's blowing. They have kind of a safe grow light with them and that sort of thing. What ends up happening is when you set them outside for any period of time, they withered and did not thrive. But the ones that I actually grew in my garage were a lot hardier when it came to the stresses of being outside. I'm a big fan of self-care and I absolutely believe in self-care. But I think one of the things that tends to be missing is exposing ourselves to increasingly difficult things in the right amounts such that it increases our resilience so that when we are exposed to higher stress, more complex situations that we're hardy enough to be able to withstand it. And so one of the things that I've learned is that pain is not harm and that those things are different. The pain that the seedlings might have been exposed to actually increased their resilience Ironically enough, them being in too safe of an environment actually harmed them in the long run. I'm always guiding clients to ask more questions, not give the answers, because allowing people to try and fail and readjust does exactly what you're saying. It uplevels you both from a resilience and from an experience equals knowledge. I'm better because I was left to struggle a bit to come up with the answer or the solution. And therefore, now I'm smarter, not just more resilient. I'm smarter because I figured it out. Last night at dinner, my girlfriend and her husband, we were having a conversation about kids. I'm the one in my friend group and actually all of life clients, too, that has the oldest kids because I'm the oldest And so my kids are 21 and 25. And most of my clients and friends' kids are anywhere from babies to teens. So they're always saying, okay, what comes next? And so we had this conversation last night about them helping the kids do the stuff around the house, get laundry done, learn how to do things. And I told them the story of when my now 25-year-old son was learning to take out the trash as his responsibility. Mm. Now, caveat, taking out the trash where we lived was a long country driveway. It was not an easy effort. Like it took strength. It took strategy. It took planning. Like it was a big dang deal. And there were many times throughout this process, I would just be like, I don't want to listen to the whining and the whinging and the complaining. It would come to the day for the trash day and I'd be like, I'm just going to do it so I don't have to listen to all this shit. And Blaine would say, nope. Because every time you do, you make the training take longer. And he was right. And I'd be like, okay. So one day in particular, there were bees covering the trash can because, I don't know, we had had a party and there was sweet stuff in there. I don't know. And my son is afraid of bees, even though we lived out in the country. He's not exactly an outdoorsy type. And he was sobbing. Dad can't expect me to go out there and risk my life for the trash. What if I get stung and die? I mean, you know, you can just imagine all of the angst that was built. It wasn't even empathy as a mom. It was just, I didn't want to listen to that shit that day. I knew he wasn't going to die. I just didn't want to listen to it. And Blaine looked at me like, don't you dare. And I literally like just went to the other side of the house. Like I got to just remove myself from the situation. And Blaine left him there 
to figure it out. And every time Cameron would come back in, he'd say, dude, I believe in your ability to figure this out. I know you're smart enough. I know you have enough resources in that garage. I know you will figure this out. The first attempt was he took a stick and would bang on the trash can and then run away, hoping that that was going to make the bees leave. Well, the bees would just come back. Ultimately, I think he ended up getting like his helmet from his four-wheeler and like some big jacket. He armored himself up for the job and courageously finally went in and got the trash to the end of the driveway. And I think about what you're saying about resilience. He learned how to use his resources and figure this out. And I would have easily just taken the trash and been done with it in six minutes. But Mm -hmm. because Blaine was so emphatic about this was an important part of parenting, I learned a lot that day about from a parenting and a leadership perspective. Months later, maybe even years later, One day I had gone for a run and I came back and it was a beautiful morning and I wasn't done like just moving and being outside and it was trash day. And so I was like, I'll just go ahead and take the trash down because training had already been completed. Like he was doing the job religiously every week. Nobody had to follow up on it. It was wired. It was a pattern. And so I was just going to take the trash can down just because I wanted to be outside longer that day. And of course, you could hear the trash can coming out of the garage. That kid come flying out of the house Like the house was on fire and he goes, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just taking the trash because I wanted to, not because you didn't. That's Mm -hmm. my job. And he grabbed that trash can and took it to the end of the driveway. It was the resilience and the experience and the pride and the responsibility that came from pounding bees off a trash can. I love that story. I mean, I wrote down some of the things that I noticed just in as you were describing that. So it sounded like it created responsibility. It sounded like it spurred innovation as well. Resilience, yes, that's one of the through lines here, but also the constraints that he had, he was forced to have to solve a problem in a lot of different ways. The other cool thing is that from what you're telling me in the story, you didn't tell him how he was supposed to do it. You just said you need to do it. He had that agency to be able to figure it out himself and have to struggle through it. But I think that that is a really great picture and example of all the things that can come from that our own discomfort of letting somebody else have to struggle through solving the problem, whatever it is. And I love the tomato plant experience because how often do we overly protect employees and kids and friends Hmm. and spouses and anybody that we truly love. And we do it out of care, but we're actually stunting their growth and making life harder for them. Yeah. And our tendency, I think, is to like find them a different job within the company or adjust whatever the role is. And I think that often has to do more with our discomfort necessarily than I mean, that was my situation with the trash example. Yeah. And so I think that there's an invitation there for us to increase our pain tolerance so that other people can grow and move through the struggle in their own way as well. And you think um, about a leadership structure, your sense of discomfort about waiting for somebody to figure something out means that what if results don't happen quickly enough? And so I got to report to somebody usually, everybody got a boss. So then we jump in and save the day thinking it's more efficient, Mm -hmm. but it's not more effective. That's a big takeaway that I've got. But if you're really going to build the kind of employees that are there to take responsibility and want 
to run out of the house to take the trash can down when somebody else tries to. This law of nature and law of the harvest is at play. It also makes me go back to the structure conversation too, is that if you're growing the people that are going to grow the business, and as you see those people grow and develop, go through some of the challenges and struggles that they need to go through and then take new responsibility on the other side of whatever that difficulty is, then what are the new structures that I can build in response to their marginal increase and how they've grown as an individual? Rather than always thinking about structural fixes to things mm-hmm. or structural fixes to growth or approaches to growth, what are the human approaches to growth that then the structures can be a response to? I don't have a good answer for That's like- That's big though. But I think it's an interesting thing to play with or imagine. Yeah. Okay. This is a whole nother rabbit hole that we don't have the time today to dig into. But I believe that the publicly traded three-month turn of necessity for results is what keeps us from doing many of these practices that are more nature intended because we fear the quarterly reports more than we fear not preparing employees for the long haul. Mm. Again, we don't have time to tackle that today. But I think about that story with Cameron. It just popped in my head. You know, at the time he was, I don't know, 10, Mm -hmm. 11. And when he was 21, we went to Boston to a big music festival that he wanted to go to with one of his favorite guys from England that had come over to do a big tour. We went to Boston for the weekend to go. And he's a musician and a guitar player himself. And he found an open mic gig during the day before the evening show started. And he said, hey, let's go. I'm going to see if I can play at the gig tonight. And I'm like, cool. So we go there and we get there. We just miss signups. And they had already filled all the spots. I'm a forgiveness versus permission person, right? And so I'm thinking, we don't live here. I'm going to go in there and make some noise about this and see if I can get my kid on stage. Mama bear in this thing, right? And I said, let's just go ask somebody else. And he looked at me and he was like, I want to do it. And I said, cool. And he said, I think you're right. Let's challenge it. But I want to be the one to do it. And I was so proud of him in that moment. And you know what? He went around. He asked somebody that he followed online. He kind of knew them from social media and said, man, it's my 21st birthday. I missed the signups. Is there any way you could get me on stage? I'm going to cry remembering this. And I'm way back in the back of the bar because I don't know if this is going to work or not. And he comes rushing up to me and he goes, I'm on next. And he grabs the guitar that he borrowed from somebody because we would flown there and the bar was packed. And we went from no at the front door to 15 minutes later, the entire bar, like singing along and clapping and cheering for this kid. And now I think back and I think it's because of the bees on the trash can. <laughs> yeah. That's really powerful. Can I talk about compost? I was going to say, please tell me you've got a compost one because that was what you put on the bullet point is compost and leadership. Yes. I have maybe an unhealthy obsession with compost. I would eat it if I could. I'm fascinated by compost on so many levels. One is you're just sort of putting everything that happened in the garden into a pile. There's some layers that you want to be intentional about with, but It's that process of decomposition. Basically, when everything starts to break down as granular and as soil, you're like, it's basically dirt, but it actually represents our greatest potential. It represents what is going to create the best conditions for growth later on. And so if we look at in life, 
when there are those moments where everything feels like it's disoriented, confused, like it's in disorder, disarray, it is the hardest moment that we might be experiencing or what we feel like in and of ourselves that actually might be the highest potential moment for our growth and what we can become. Is the seeds of our development, transformation, whatever, actually found in the moments of decomposition? And I love that you said it's the culmination of all of what's happened. It's Mm -hmm. all of our collective experiences that give nutrients to the soil, right? All of it. Like even the bad stuff. That's so good. And we need the good, the bad, and the ugly, the collective experience When you talk about that, maybe that worst chaotic moment is the one that's necessary and the one that's going to be the most nutritious, the most fueling. I mean, you could tie that to biblical stuff too, about the time you think that everything is at its worst is right before the biggest breakthrough. I mean, the Bible tells us that constantly. Dark night of the soul in Hero's journey tells us that there's so many places that would validate that compost story. Oh, I love that. I thought you were going to say that leadership is just a bunch of shit. Somebody told me there's like a proverb. I think it's in Proverbs where it talks about like where the stable is full of shit. There's a lot of work to be done and where it's clean, like there's nothing to be done. In a way, it's like be thankful for the manure that's present in whatever like situation. It's your purpose. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. OK, this compost metaphor is, again, red gold. How many times... Do we try to prevent anything from going awry or we try to hide the mistakes because we don't want to either get in trouble or we don't want people to think that we're not good? And so how much more productive and nutritious, if we're going all in on this compost metaphor, would it be if a leadership team sat down as a part of their regular weekly cadence or monthly cadence, whatever it is in the structure, to say... Let's talk about all the things that went awry this week and what we learned from them and how we're going to all learn from them. You had talked about psychological safety earlier, and one of the important elements of psychological safety is that we can report errors to one another. And so that I feel that each individual in the team feels safe enough to be able to report errors. In that way, you could view that as compost in a lot of ways. Because we are vulnerable enough or the environment within that team is vulnerable enough that we can share whatever errors, both in terms of like, hey, I don't know what's going on here, or I'm unclear on something, I'm confused about something, or I bombed that sales meeting. Or it could even be, you know what, I've actually been avoiding you, or I've even been working around you of being able to say those things out loud. Once we get it on the table, we can figure out how do we solve the problem. But unless it's there in the compost pile. I would even call it that as a leadership meeting. And the tagline would be, let's break it down. I love that. Let's co-brand it, Wes. We have designed a new leadership tool for our toolboxes. I will have my marketing genius, Claire, build us a little template for it. I think even just calling it something like the compost pile would change how we interact with it. Yeah, because we know that compost is nutrition. You are delightful. I have enjoyed this so, so, so much. Seriously, come over for coffee and we'll sit on my front porch and talk about leadership. This was delightful. I didn't know what we were going to get into and how it was going to go. And you picked the weirdest one on the list and we were off to the races. And my day is made because I got to talk about gardening and compost 
in the context of leadership development. So thank you so much for asking the questions. How can people stay connected with you? What's the best way to find you and connect with you? You can find me on LinkedIn. My profile is just Wesley Kate, or you can go to my website. It's HTTPS colon slash slash creatio.space. Yes, you need to put in all of that jargon at the front end to get there. WWW won't do it. So creatio.space is my website. And there you can kind of learn a little bit more about my practice. So, And you can be hired as a coach, right? Yeah. So I'm an executive coach and leadership consultant. I work with executive teams and senior leaders, mostly in the lower middle market, ambitious companies in the lower middle market who are important moments of change and transition or transitioning responsibility or trying to recalibrate life and work. I love that. And we need great leadership consultants always. And even though we both do the same kind of work, it would be silly for us to think that the world didn't need the different approaches that we all have. I think that's what's so wonderful about being an abundant mindset of there are times that I'll meet somebody and go, oh, I know somebody that's a much better fit for you. So if I ever have a prospect that's deep into gardening, I'm going to be like, oh, hold on. I got to introduce you to Wes. Like he's going to be a better coach for you. <laughs> Same. Same, Rebecca. Thank you for being here. This has been great. And let's stay in touch. I'm not coming down. I never liked it on the ground. I'm not coming down. Thanks for listening to this episode. I would love it if you would go to Apple Podcast and leave a rating and a review. And then you can go to RebeccaFleetwoodHessian.com and join the Badass Women's Council. If you really want to take a deeper dive, join the movement of a thousand thriving women. There's amazing Thrive tools there for you today. Love you, mean it. I'm not coming down. Hey, y'all, fun fact. If you like the music for the podcast, that is actually my son, Cameron Hessian. And I would love it if you would go to Spotify and iTunes and follow him and download some of his other music. My personal favorite is TV Land. <laughs>